Hello and welcome. My name is Karen O'Connor and you're listening to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. Hello and welcome. I'm here with Danielle Dalcortivo. Welcome, Danielle, again. Hello. Second time round. I know. So it's probably about two years since we spoke, isn't it? I reckon. I think it might be that long. Wow. I think it might be that long. So just to let people know, Danielle is, she's an entrepreneur and she's a CEO and a consultant. And she's also the founder of the Free the V, Global Empowerment Movement. I was going to say society, company, what is it? Free the V. <laughs> talk, talk to me about Free the V. It's a, it's a movement. We're sticking, we're a movement. We're a movement at the moment. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, Free for... the V is really a yeah. Sorry, vulva, vagina, all the good things, right? All the great stuff. <laughs> yeah. Why have you founded Free the V, and what's changed since we first spoke two years ago? Because when I first spoke to you, you literally had founded this thing or started this movement a couple of weeks beforehand I think so you've had two years to kind of grow it and move forward what's the purpose of it why did you start doing it and what is what's the the need for change that you see yeah thanks Karen it's such an awesome question and it's so lovely to have the opportunity to come back and talk to you two years later because we did have our first conversation very early in the creation of Free the V so I'm really interested in and I've had this uh thread in my life that's been curious about sexual health sexual behavior empowerment women's empowerment and sort of exploring what's in the way of having us be like fully expressed as who we are, freed up sexually, freed up in our careers, freed up in our relationships, freed up in our lives to be able to really have the life we want. And part of what was curious for me was as women, and I just want to acknowledge that when I say women, that could be people who are assigned female at birth. It could be people who were born with a vagina, but don't necessarily relate to themselves as being female. So our Free the V project is very much about people who identify as being women and people who have vaginas. And I'll explain why that, you know, the vagina component really matters. But there's so much stuff that it's cultured for women around how we should behave, how we should express ourselves sexually, how we should be in the world, how our bodies should look, what we should do with our bodies. And so I was really interested and kind of just started to like discover for myself, what is all the stuff? What are all the beliefs, the conversations? Like what is all the stuff that I was almost just born into and didn't have much choice about? So as a little girl, things like close your legs, don't let people see your underwear, don't touch down there, you know, all these kind of common things that we say. And I'm so guilty of saying this stuff too. It's like, oh my gosh, close your legs, don't let people see your underwear because of other people who may be creeps or other people that may take advantage of you or other people that may have something going on about it. So like these almost protective behaviours that then communicate something because as little brains we don't really get that closure legs is like we're trying to protect you from harm that other people may inflict on you it's like closure legs because that's bad or wrong or we don't want to see that or that's not appropriate or that's shameful or like whatever it all is so started to have a look at what is all that stuff and where and how is that impacting me as a some you know 30 something year old woman in the world. And so that kind of kicked off um, Free the V. The other thing to add is I've always sort of been interested in conversations that people don't have. So from a really, like a younger age, I was interested in, you know, I was doing some volunteer work over in Africa around HIV. And I was like, what is actually going on around this and why is just telling people to use a condom not sufficient to preventing HIV 
And so there was all this really juicy, like human behavior stuff that had me really curious. And why are we not talking about, like, why is there so much taboo and stigma around sex or some of the complexity around HIV and condoms? And and why does that conversation not work? Because there's so much other stuff in the space. And so I've always been like curious about having conversations that people may not have. And then the more of those conversations I had, the more people wanted to talk to me about whatever that was opening up for them. And that's kind of how I grew Free the V. I had no intention of creating Free the V. I had no intention of creating a global movement. It's just that as I started to talk to people about some of the taboos around our bodies, and I don't just mean vulva and vagina, I just mean the whole world of what it looks like to be female in today's society, then I just got like, wow, maybe this conversation is actually missing for many, many people. And that's just, and then when we think about globally and some of those other cultures that are far more conservative there is a real lack of these types of conversations and what's the cost of that on women and their self-expression and their freedom and their power so that's how it started <laughs> so really it's a, it, it is a kind of a, a female emancipation movement isn't it for me it's about I'm interested in what difference might new inquiries or new conversations, what's the difference and what's the impact that can actually make for women? And then I'd argue for society and all, you know, men and all the other genders. But what if we started to have conversations that aren't being had? Just what difference could that do and how freed up could we get? And then, like, what conversations could we be having with our little people starting from when they're teeny tiny so that all of that history baggage like inherited conversations the conversations we kind of just inherited by being little females in the world what if that wasn't what if that didn't shape and influence our little people what difference would that make because often I'm talking to people it's like how do we navigate this stuff with our children How do we encourage safe behavior? How do we encourage pleasure? But how do we do that in a private space versus a public space? How do we not body shame? But how do we also kind of be mindful of empowering but also keeping, you know, little people safe? It's a complex, it's really complex. So it's not just about, like for me, this is not just about what's possible sort of for me and my generation and women that are, you know, older than me or a bit younger than me, but it's kind of like what role do we have in making a difference for the women who are and the females that are going to be coming through? What can we do about that? Yeah, it's so, really yeah. interesting. A, a few months ago, I don't know whether you saw it, something on one of the shows that I never watch and I did because of this trailer something like 60 minutes or something where there was, or even a current affair, like it was something really, and, but there were these parents who had decided not to reveal the gender of their child until the child chose. And they could be seven, eight, nine years old because they didn't want their child treated by society in the way that society quite normally, I was going to say naturally, quite normally responds to a girl child versus a boy child. Like if a girl child wants to uh, hurt herself, for example, oh my goodness, are you okay? Are you fine? Oh my goodness. Whereas a little boy, there'd be a lot less, a lot less uh, not comfortings, but you did. They, it's dealt with in a different way, you know. Boys are expected to rough and tumble, mm. play soccer. Girls are expected to play with dolls and do other things, and they wanted to avoid that kind of expectation. And when I first heard it, the first time I saw the trailer for the show, I was like, oh, that's ridiculous. And then the more I watched it, I went, no, it's actually a genius idea <laughs> because then there's no mm. external influence on how that child should behave based on the gender. And that opens up, it opened up so many conversations for me and so many questions for me. And so it's interesting that you're saying this now because it's basically the same thing, or it's not basically the same thing. It is involves the same thing, that our, our entire 
expectation and for behaviors and lives and everything is based on our gender. What can we do about releasing all of those limiting or negative beliefs that we have that we don't even know we have? Mm. Is that right? Am I kind of, Mm. am I missing it? (laughs) Perhaps how I would communicate that is that not necessarily it's all based on our gender and Mm. certainly gender and the construct of gender plays a really impactful role and can shape beliefs about the world and who we should be and how we should be. I'm actually working on a project that's a national project and it's looking at the social and sexual safety of women and girls with disability. And it's women and girls, but also includes people who are gender diverse. So people who are non-binary, trans people. And it's been so fascinating, this conversation about gender, because there's a high percentage of people who identify as being non-binary. And I heard a statistic the other day that it was something like, if you have autism, you are seven and a half times more likely to identify as non-binary. And for people who aren't quite clear what that means, it means that you don't relate to your biology in a gendered way. And that has been so curious for me because I actually think there's something really rich in what's sort of arising in that conversation that uh, how curious that there is this other way to be in the world that doesn't have your identity and your sense of who you are totally bound up in your gender. And, you know, I was thinking about this when we like meditate or like from a conscious, a higher conscious level, when I'm in a state of meditation, for me, gender is not at play when I meditate. It's like, it's almost like this experience of going like beyond the physical body. And so I'm going beyond my biology, my genitals, you know, my breasts, like the the way that biology presents in my physical body. When I meditate or am in a state that's kind of beyond that, I don't know that consciousness has a gender. So I'm clear my body has biology that influences my hormones and how I think absolutely. But like when I go beyond that, what happens to gender? So there's this part of my thinking and, you know, this is all evolving because this space, especially around gender identity and sexuality identity, is just moving so quickly and evolving so quickly. But I'm like, wow, there's something quite profound to me around non-binary because it's like who you are is not constrained by your biology or by your gender and therefore what freedom is there for you to choose how you want to present in the world, how you want to act in the world, how you want to speak in the world, and how you conceptualize self. So I have no answers. I have no idea about what's the best way or not. And, you know, I I have no idea, but I'm really curious and in the inquiry of, like, where does gender play? And then where are those spaces where it seems like gender is irrelevant? It's interesting that you're saying all this because I remember years ago when I first graduated from uni and and I was working on building sites and somebody said to me, I don't, because there was very few women doing my job at the time, and one of the foremen on site said, I don't think of you as a woman. He said, not in any disrespect, but I think of you as a person. And I really related to that, and I still do. I relate to myself like I'm a person who happens to be able to give birth to children. But the female archetype, although I like wearing dresses, they're pretty, but I like wearing gym kits as well because they're really practical. But I just like wearing stuff (laughs) that I feel comfortable in. And I I relate to myself. I I cannot relate to this feminine archetype. I just can't. It's just not me. 
I'm a person who happens to be able to give birth. That kind of being done. So I hadn't thought about it from the perspective that you're talking about now, but that kind of makes sense. Do I, do I then perceive myself as non-binary? Very probably. Yeah, without a doubt. But that's just the mm -hmm. way it is. And I've never even, uh, even mm -hmm. communicated that in any way. I've never verbalized it before. So it was interesting that you were saying that because I'm going, well, yeah, <laughs> totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the more you sort of like, the more I ponder it just as a pondering, it's like, what is gender mm -hmm. and what is female archetype as you talk about it? And I, and, you know, I do believe that there are different energies and absolutely the way my hormones present as a female influences how I think and how I can behave and there's some really interesting stuff around, you know, the influence of hormones. And I know you had a conversation around that there may not be brain differences between the biologies. There's some really interesting research that also points to there may be some significant differences in some of the ways that we think, which can also be influenced by hormones, of course. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's such an interesting exploration and it's not to diminish that there are two primary sets of biology mate what we define as male and female but there's also intersex people and people who are born with both sets of um, genitals and what used to be called like hermaphrodites so even the the conservative view of there's just male and female biologically well, there is also variation and deviation from that. And then we chuck on the top of that gender. <laughs> and then we chuck on so top personality really... as well. Because personality <laughs> has a lot to do with it. And then there's the overlay of culture and race. and But then there's also like the different neurodiversity. So neurotypical brains and then neurodiverse brains. And how does that you know, there's something for me around the neurodiversity around like autism. If this correlation is actually proves to be scientifically supported and whatever else, I'm not sure what research is being done in this space, but I'm like, wow, that's really interesting for how different brain operations and functions conceptualize gender mm -hmm. and biology. So it's like, it's this emerging space of fascinating inquiry around what well, sort of like, well, then what? So if this, these constructs or these conversations or views about the female archetype and how we should be and behave, notwithstanding some of the differences between some of those masculine and feminine feminine energies and how that gets kind of linked into this space but I wonder what might be beyond all that which for those people that are afraid it means that you know population won't do what it's going to do I mean there is a you know there is a biological whole system at play but for those people for whom defining themselves as a gender based on their biology doesn't work, then not a problem, I say. Can we just hold space for that or at least yeah. be in the conversation? And, and it doesn't mean that just because you don't identify as female that you're not going to want to have children. It just means that you don't want to be, or for me, it, it meant that don't treat me like your traditional idea of, of a woman. I'm a person. Who happens to be able to give birth? I still have four children. Didn't make any difference. It's it's not exclusive. It doesn't exclude anything, you know. Yeah. Well, then it's like this conversation for like, okay, so what about women who don't have a uterus? So females that are uh, that are female biologically but don't have a uterus. It's like, well, then does that mean they're not female because they they can't? have a baby and so it just gets like it just isn't black and white and I think that's like the cool space is the gray around all of this because absolutely it's like just because you 
have the capacity to have children. If someone doesn't have the capacity to not have children, that actually has nothing to do with their gender either. Mm -hmm. That's just about a capacity to have children or a capacity not to have children or to choose to have children, not to choose to have children. Yeah, but for me, it's like the a really interesting piece around that is to see, well, in the construct of the archetype called female, what were all the inherent beliefs, expectations, standards, and what might be possible if I could see, recognise, and then go beyond those? Because if I don't know they're at play or if I don't know that that's not actually my identity but may have just been something that I picked up along the way around women should behave in a particular way and women who hadn't had sex with a lot of people. I mean, this was some of the stuff that I was hearing around me as a little person. Of course, the standard old men can have sex with whoever they want but make sure you're not someone who's had a lot of sexual partners if you want to be married or if you want someone to want to have sex with you and blah, 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 which we've discovered is all just BS and like but if I can't recognize that stuff or shine a light on it or discover it as a blind spot in some ways I'm trapped because I don't know that that isn't actually how the world is or how I have to be and so it's that uncovering and like revealing that has been the theme of Free the V and certainly for other people that I talk to that have taken on our different, the writer letter to your vagina, which we can talk about a bit later or whenever, but it's that uncovering some of that unconscious stuff that's just playing in the background and then I'm interested in is what is made available when then you actually have a choice. You have a choice to how many people you want to sleep with or not sleep with. You have a choice to dress traditionally really feminine or not or just wear whatever you want. You have a choice as to sort of what careers or what you do or what whether you have kids or don't have kids or you're in a same-sex relationship. How can some of those seemingly inherent, not-so-impactful beliefs What happens when we actually discover what's available with them out of the way? And what does that lead to? And what I've seen is it leads to greater expression, greater power, greater freedom, and the ability to just be and live and experience life as you want, not based on all of the stuff that we didn't necessarily have a say about, that we were learning and you know, developing and hearing about in sex education, whatever that even did or didn't look like for many of us and how we were just in the world. And even our, uh, I was watching a, a TV program, just a drama, and the teacher said there was a group of teenage children and the teacher said to the boys, what do you do to protect yourself on a daily basis? And the boys are like, what are you talking about? And she said to the girls, what do you do? Write it on the board. And there was all these things. Make sure you don't go anywhere alone. Carry a bunch of keys with you. Always have your phone on you. Talk on your phone while you're walking. Don't walk through the park after that. All of this stuff that we have to take in our day, the the things that we do in our daily lives to try, and it, it is to try and keep ourselves safe like I get that but there's also then there's such limitations based on us and I didn't really want to go off in this direction I do apologize there's such limitation placed on us as women to protect ourselves and I get that it's done for the best with the best of intentions and we continue to do it with the best of intentions but it is restrictive it's been really interesting working in the space of disability because what happens then when we place that burden of responsibility. So as a woman who doesn't have a disability, I am responsible for where I walk and don't walk at night time and do the talking on your phone and whatever strategies we use when we're catching taxis and Ubers and whatever it is we're doing. Then what happens for people for whom that's not possible for them as a protective factor? And so it's been really interesting to think about what would it, and some of the work we're doing is with women with intellectual disability and cognitive impairment. 
And so it's been so heartbreaking, confronting, challenging to think about what would it look like if collectively spaces were safe, so safe that women, and not just women, but anyone from a minority or a group that makes them deemed more vulnerable, though I don't like to use that term, but what if the world was safe enough that we didn't have to worry about that, about the protection of the vulnerable because of other people's behaviour? And so that's, and then how do we create a society shaped around that? Verse, it's your responsibility for your safety. And then that's all like good and well as a rattling sort of off as a way that we just deal with, well, don't wear these clothes and don't go out at nighttime and don't walk in the park and all of the things. But what if we could actually create a space where even people that may not have the capacity to take those actions, none of us actually need to take those actions because the perpetrators or the people that are actually causing harm are unable to do so. So it is very interesting conversation. Mm, very much so. Talk to me about you, because you've got a current project, haven't you? you? It's about writing a letter to your vagina, which sounds really bizarre, off the, <laughs> just off the cuff. Talk to me about totally. that, because this kind of leads into that, doesn't it, what you're saying? It's so interesting because when I say write a letter to your vagina, people are like, that's weird or why would I or I've got nothing to say or I don't have a relationship with my vulva or my vagina. And it's called write a letter to your vagina. But really it's like write a letter to the essence of what it looks like for you being female in the world or being a woman in the world. And this is available also for people who are non-binary too. So what is it? How does menstruation, menopause, sex, pleasure, your your vagina, intimacy, how does all of that, what is our relationship to all of that? Because it makes people are like, you know, I love my vulva. And I'm like, that is fabulous. Write a letter about that. Oh, or I've never had a, you know, I don't have a problem with my vulva or my vagina, but God, I hate my thighs. Not a problem. It's not a write a letter to your vagina because you've got a problem with something to do with your anatomy or it's not about necessarily any problem, but it is about what is actually said about your experience of being female and how that all relates. So the write a letter to your vagina, we've had women write their own letter just off the cuff, but we also have a, so we're doing a global fundraising event. And my intention is for it to be global so that women from all different cultures from around the world can participate in this conversation because culturally there's really different conversations and the way we view ourselves and our bodies and menstruation and menopause and just the world, endometriosis, like just the world of it all, often we don't spend too much time thinking about what might be the other impacts of that. And so at the global workshop, I've designed a really beautiful process with some cues for to help with writing the letter to your vagina to have you begin to sort of uncover and see what you may not be present to but what could be in the space impacting your experience of yourself, pleasure, but also just like who you are in the world. So when I wrote the letter to my vagina, it I was moved by the end of my letter because it was like I have sort of gone through life like there's this thing tucked away between my legs called my vulva attached to my vagina and like wow that is the pleasure center of my body that is the creator of life for many um, people that is one of the ways that children are brought into the world that is shaping my moods and my hormones every bloody day and my menstruation once a month and my experience of pain or not pain or the way that my period impacts me or like menopause so dryness of vaginas and not having the same sex drive and changes in the hormones so it's like 
there is this anatomy that is so impactful and powerful on how I just do my life. But I'd had it like, oh, it's just this thing that's tucked away, who cares? Until I started to kind of explore like, whoa, (laughs) there's a bit of stuff here. Beliefs, ideas, impacts, sex drive, pleasure. And so the write a letter to to your vagina is actually an exploration of the realm of it all and how that impacts you. And then what we find is part of the write a letter to vagina process is that at the end we get to, at the beginning we talk about what's never been said. Sometimes letters are things like I've never told anyone I was sexually abused. I've never told anyone that it really hurt. I've never told anyone that I actually regret having sex or I've never told anyone that I was told I could never have kids and I didn't really think that was going to impact me until I started writing this letter and then people get present to this stuff that never, not never, but may not be processed. So by the end of the process of writing a letter to your vagina, something new arises and it's different for everybody. And I don't actually know the, someone asked me like, Danielle, how exactly does it all work? And I'm like, I don't really know how it all works or exactly what it will look like. I just kind of know it's a really powerful process and it works. So before we start writing a letter, we just have a conversation about like, what is there for you? What's actually there for you about coming, writing the letter? I had a um, person that I know who's already written a letter say, Danielle, when you invited me to the global event, I like froze and I've already written a letter and I know you and I know what the project's about, but it's still like there's a air and I'm really interested in the air. What is that about? Like, why is that the reaction? So we've, we've got cues to guide the letter writing if people choose to, that kind of takes you through a process that has things begin to illuminate that you may not have seen before. And then for me, it was really important that we close that process in a really safe, beautiful way. But some discovery happens in the process of writing the letter that when you get towards the end, there's something is available and it's really beautiful. And that's what had me be like, wow, there's something in this process. So what if we could create it in a way that was safe so our event is really safe? Because sometimes people write a letter to their vagina off the cuff and are just like, dear vagina, I don't have much to say to you. Thanks for the kids, the end. Not a problem. But there's a, there's a depth beyond that and I'm really interested in that because for me it's about having it be a transformative, beneficial process that enable some level of freedom otherwise I'm not interested in doing it if it's got no purpose and doesn't make a difference but then the really cool part that I think Karen when we first spoke I didn't know I was going to sort of be creating this but where we're up to now is the goal is to have a number of these letters submitted anonymously and then to compile them in a book with some analysis of kind of some themes and looking at groupings or what are we hearing a lot about or what's unique about the letters and then to publish them in a book and my goal for that book is is that that book can be read by women all around the world and used as a conversation starter and I would love ideally I would love for that book to be used in book clubs so that women who already gather with each other can actually gently, like I'm happy to jump into pretty intense conversations, but I know that people are at different stages along that pathway. So having that book be something to begin a conversation, because I know that these conversations can be really transformative. And so my goal is to have an exponential increase in conversations around this stuff being had around the world. That's my goal for the whole project is more conversations as an access to like freedom and healing and pleasure and just power for us. So that's what I'm up to. Okay, two things. One, I think that the book like that is 
although it will, I think it's necessary for a lot of women to write it, and I'm going to go more into that in a minute, I also think that the impact that it will have on most men will change everything because I don't think mm -hmm. men have any idea of how the, the world occurs for women. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I've had people say, but surely, Danielle, because at the moment our events are for people who have a vagina and people are like, what about men? Like they need to be involved in this conversation and absolutely, without a doubt, they absolutely need to be involved in this conversation. But for me, the first stage is the mm. reclaiming of this conversation for ourselves because it hasn't been women driving this conversation. Uh, you know, gynecologists were men. A lot of the anatomy was named by men. Like these conversations are very heavily influenced by men. So okay. historically or how we endometriosis wasn't even like a condition it wasn't even acknowledged as a condition and we didn't even know about the clitoris until the 2000s or something, like craziness that we just had no idea about the shape and structure and extraordinary awesomeness of the clitoris. So for me it is in this stage like very much for women to discover and then, I mean, one of the ideas I have too one day is this would have to, it would need to be done in a pretty safe considered way would be like it would be extraordinary to have men write letters to a vagina or vaginas and begin to see what what gets written from that perspective mm -hmm. but I'd also want to be mindful of I'm not interested in reading vitriol and disgusting disempowering shit about women's bodies like someone else can do it but absolutely Men need to be part of this conversation and when and what bit, I'm not sure and I'm not quite, my focus for now is just the empowerment for women. But absolutely, if you want to hand that to, hand the book to men to actually get more of a very personal insight into some females and how we relate to ourselves and our bodies in the world of being female, then absolutely. It's interesting because I'm, I'm chuckling to myself quietly in my head here because I know that you've named this Free the V, or I suspect, let me put it that way, I suspect that you've named this Free the Free, uh, you're talking about vaginas and vulvas because they are kind of not taboo subjects, but they're not properly spoken about in good society. You could name it Connect With Your Feminine, but it's not nearly as powerful, is it? Because we need to get rid of all that stuff. So I actually find it hilarious and really fabulous that you've called it Free The V because it's getting all that stuff out of the way. Yeah, but it's it's really interesting, Karen, because I've thought about, I mean, the one of the challenges with the name of Free The V is that it it can for marketing and branding purposes, kind of limit it, limit it to, oh, we're just talking about vulvas. In fact, I was sharing with a friend and she was like, oh, I thought it was just about if people like their vulva. And I was like, oh, boy, I have not done a great job of communicating what this project is about if that is what people think this project is about. Write a letter to vagina, but only if you've got an issue or a fraught relationship with your vulva or vagina. So I love that I can speak very freely and say the word vulva and vagina without a conniption but interestingly in some ways it's like and this is not just me there are extraordinary people on this journey with me doing all sorts of cool stuff but the word vagina is quite confronting for many people so if you're out in public it's funny people will quiet when they say a letter to my vagina or there's this loadedness around vagina and heaven forbid we introduce vulva. I mean, a lot of people don't even know the distinction between the two. So it's like powerful because I'm like, can we please reclaim this biological term for a bit on our body that is around 50-ish percent of the whole population around the world? But it can be very confronting and I have people check right out. So in some ways it's like trying to pioneer a new conversation 
but doing so where there is such resistance and such hesitation and trauma. So some people aren't interested in even looking, doing the looking kind of emotionally, but even looking physically, like have a look at your vagina or your vulva rather and get used to your anatomy. So I love that it's free to be and we're not afraid to say vulva and vagina and and look at what that means. But it's interesting because there is a, I think it actually causes a disconnect or a, there's an adverse reaction to using vagina. Instagram's interesting and lots of accounts get blocked because it's to this and it's to that and it's to whatever. So it's been really interesting linguistically and sort of sharing more about it's not that black and white kind of free your vagina because for some people their vaginas are super free which is fabulous but it's about freeing us as females or as beings to really just be free everywhere because when we're freed up around our relationship to self body the whole world of it who we be at work is different who we be with our families is different. Who we be around money, like I'm sure there's a very interesting relationship between like money and our relationship to self, of course. How the vagina and vulva and female experience links to that, I have no idea, but that would actually be really interesting to explore. So it's really like free yourself to just be freed up to be whoever the hell you want to be in the world is actually what the project is about. But the piece of that personal development inquiry segment that we're looking at is the female experience and the female anatomy. Let me tie this back again to the work that you're doing with disabilities, with people with disabilities. Mm. And how does this all tie in with them or with that work? Yeah, my fundamental what really matters to me and what my commitment is is that people are able to really design and live a life they love so some of the work I'm doing around the project around women and girls with disability is looking at social and sexual safety which includes sexual education access to sexual um, information how we talk about sexual and social safety so For me, social safety is really about the relationships we have and inside of dealing with the incredibly awful statistics of abuse, particularly under the domestic, you know, some of the domestic violence broader agenda, but the abuse that's happening particularly to women and girls and people who are gender diverse with disability in the space of relationships and sexuality so for me free the v is like another piece to i am a very strong advocate that all people have sexual needs and should have access to understanding their sexual health pleasure intimacy relationships of course inside of consent and workability for people involved And what I've noticed in some of the spaces in which this stuff shows up is people have their own beliefs and myths and barriers that then get projected on what's possible for other people. And that's the piece I'm interested in, is what role do we have to play to have people either freed up with their own sexuality and their own stuff about it all or at least able to remove that so that other people aren't negatively impacted because of our own stuff. And how can we, how can we do better at this in general? And how can we create freedom and real empowerment for people who may not be able to create that for themselves? So it's interesting because there's a thread of sexual freedom, sexual expression. I do some work around, do some volunteer work overseas and I was very introduced into the world of this around, as I said, like HIV, but also sexual health, sexual expression is sort of all tangled up in it and for me it's about 
How do we remove barriers for ourselves? How do we remove barriers for society, for our young people, to have them be able to be freed up to experience pleasure and intimacy and just being who we want to be in a way that doesn't put us at risk of really shitty things happening to people. And it's big, right? So It's huge. It's absolutely huge. Yes. That's well done for even wanting to take it on board because it is so big when you start thinking about it. I'm just like, okay, way too hard basket for me. And one of the pieces that tie this together for me is in the space of social and sexual safety, again, it's like what is the power of conversation and inquiry as an access to something else? So if we shy away from conversations about sexuality and disability, for example, there's a huge cost of that. But what might be possible if we all started to look at what role do we play in this or what role does my own beliefs play in this? So it's the thread of conversations that can be uncomfortable, very distinct from unsafe conversations, but totally happy to be in an uncomfortable conversation. If that is where the space of inquiry, insight and some perception change happens, that makes a positive benefit, like that creates a, a difference for other people. That's what I'm really interested in and the power of listening. So what's the role of, you know, even at Free the V, we had used to do like the vagina dialogues and it's like, well, what is made possible when we actually listen and listen void of all of our crap and stuff and beliefs and judgments and perceptions and trying to be some way and trying to like what's actually possible if we just listen to the experience of others so that's how they're sort of all linked I think for now so talk to me about the workshop that's being held in a couple of weeks We wanted to make this event, one, I wanted to have it make a difference to other women around the world. So there's two sessions. It's on Sunday the 16th of July and there's a morning session at 8am and that kind of deals with the US and North America and South America. And then there's a session at 6pm Sydney time in the evening which has, you know, Europe and Africa Um, And I think that's the time zone that works best for um, people in Asia. So we've got two sessions happening. In that session, we will be exploring some of this stuff and then there'll be an opportunity to go through a process of writing your own letter or using the cues to write your letter, those cues that I was talking to you about before. And then at the end of that, we'll have a conversation about what did you discover in writing your letter? People can share or not share, speak or not speak. It's really up to um each other if they want to do that and when you register the event is free but there is an option for you to make a contribution to a number of different charities there's one that prevents female genital mutilation there's one that supports women who have been through birth trauma there's one around period poverty and then there's one that supports women giving birth i think it's in papua new guinea so there's an opportunity for people to make a contribution to some of those charities that are making a difference for women. And then at the end of the workshop, people have the choice to submit their letter anonymously. So I'll never know who wrote whose letter and I don't really want to know whose letter was written by who. And so then you have the option to submit your letter if you choose to have it be part of the um, book of anonymous letters. So, yeah, I'm really interested in having people attending of all different ages that are in different stages of their relationship to themselves and their vagina and their body. It's not just for young women. It's not just for older women. It's the more diversity we can get in the conversation, the richer it will be. And the purpose of the event is things, even in the conversation, just like you were saying, Karen, like some of the insight you had around how you identify with your gender and stuff, those types of insights are ripe in the conversation. 
So just the conver- so the conversation coupled with the letter writing, coupled with the reflections, it makes for a really powerful conversation to be in that will, you know, the intention is that people will discover something they've never seen before and that that will have a profound impact on them in a really positive way. So that's why we're holding the event. And also as a way to speed up the submission of the letters so that, you know, the quicker the quicker I get the letters I need for the book and the quicker I can kind of analyse that, make sense of those letters, then the quicker that book can be out and the quicker more of these conversations can be happening around the world. And that's all online, isn't it? Yep, it's all on Zoom. There'll be prizes. So we've got some people who are donating prizes. So we'll do a raffle with everyone who's attended both sessions. One of them is from Red Sticks. They're doing a three-month package of period tampons and pads that are sustainably resourced. And then someone else is doing Sacred Empowered Feminine is giving a one-on-one coaching session and there may be some other prizes that will be available just for participating and being part of this conversation because I know there's resistance and it takes something to be in this conversation. Tell us quickly what the address is, but I will put all the details up to how people can connect with you and how they can register for the workshop. I'll put those on the web page and in the show notes so that people can do that quite easily. But just tell us how people can connect and how they can register. The best way is just to jump up. You can jump on our website, which is just freethev.com. It's a humanitics event. So if you just search global write a letter to your vagina on the humanitics um, website it should come up otherwise you can follow me on instagram which is at free dot the v and you'll be able to connect and see lots of posts about the event and can register through through that fantastic thank you so much thank you karen thanks for your willingness to be in this like the willingness to be in this conversation and to keep actually love these conversations with you because I see it one it provides a space for me to really deepen what I'm hearing and seeing but also it's really beautiful to see that it has you thinking in new ways about this stuff and then there is a platform to give that to other people by virtue of being on the podcast. So thank you for your willingness to keep being in this conversation with me and for spreading, like helping me to really spread this conversation and fulfill on what I'm out to fulfill on. So thank you. You are more than welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and don't forget to rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some thought-provoking information that can make a difference in your life. See you next time.